You're listening to a special edition of What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Christina Cardoza, news editor of SD Times. Hello, and you're listening to What the Dev Ops, our What the Dev coverage of the Virtual DevOps Enterprise Summit. Joining me today is Chris Hill, Senior Manager of Developer Platforms at T-Mobile. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. So Chris spoke earlier at the Virtual DevOps Enterprise Summit on chasing unicorns at T-Mobile. I know, Chris, you're probably used to talking at these conferences in person. How has the transition been for you for these virtual events? Yeah, really good question. I feel like uh, the majority of my DevOps Enterprise experience has uh, been in person going back all the way to San Francisco when it was held in person. Um, and I feel like the experience change into moving to this sort of virtual track-based uh, learning model, uh, I think has really been pulled together from a Slack perspective, from a streaming perspective. I think uh, uh, we have created probably the best virtual experience that uh, you could possibly have. Um, it's definitely nowhere near what it's like to be in person with all of the individuals talking about our culture uh, talking about how we can improve our own enterprises and our own businesses. So um, there's still a big gap there, uh, but we're making it work. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned Slack. I was on the Slack um, DevOps earlier for the summit while your talk was going on. And I saw, you know, some people were like, oh, I miss seeing you in person. You belong on a stage. <laughs> so did you feel like you were able to still, you know, connect? Um, I know the networking's not the same, but... Did you still feel like you were able to reach out to attendees and to, you know, talk and give the information that they were looking for? Yeah, um, kind of. Uh, you know, having the live Slack interaction is really cool because it, it allows me the opportunity to um, instantly answer a question that's on the top of mind. Whereas when I'm on stage, uh, and I don't really take questions in that live sort of back and forth format. So I really like that aspect. But the aspect that I don't like is... I can't see how people are reacting, right? So I don't know whether or not they're still with me, they're bored, uh, or they'd rather be watching something else, right? Um, and so I basically have to think or or generate in my own office, my own crowd. I'll bring in my kids, I'll bring in my wife, so I can kind of feel uh, maybe there is this sort of virtual audience that I'm talking to. Does the kid, the kids respond well to it? Are they... Um, well, yeah, they're, they're pretty young, um, but they don't understand any of it. So it's mostly them on their iPads, but at least they're there and listening to me. So I at least feel I have some sort of human, human condition. Definitely. So how has, um, you know, the development process or the development teams that you've worked with uh, T-Mobile changed over the last couple of months with the pandemic? How have you guys been able to adjust and adapt? From a geographic perspective, uh, everyone working remotely hasn't been an issue. We've all been able to VPN just as normal. Um, some teams were already heavily fragmented anyway, and they, they really didn't notice a difference. Uh, I think one of the things that has gone up uh, for the worst uh, are the number of meetings. I think every big enterprises uh, are seeing these um, massive increase in meetings because uh, I think it's it's a natural characteristic to go if I don't see anybody or if I'm not in a formal meeting, then maybe productivity isn't being done. Um, and so I think as long as you stay careful and making sure you're reserving synchronous time, 
for the most important uh, uh, meetings that you need to have, but then channel the majority of the work and throughput and and all of the engineering to be as asynchronous as possible, right? So I really think now is an opportunity for us to step back and really rely and see how robust asynchronous communication with our tools actually is. Um, and a lot of enterprises are finding that uh, maybe the synchronous meetings weren't actually needed in the first place. And it's it's creating this sort of uh, healthier dialogue uh, that's convenient for people in other time zones, for example. So since we are in the midst of the DevOps Enterprise Summit still, um, tell me a little bit about the DevOps journey at T-Mobile and, you know, how um, how is it going at the company where you guys sort of are with the adoption? Yeah, good question. So like I said in my talk, we are actively chasing unicorns. So I would say we're really nipping at the heels um, of a unicorn. And a unicorn is something I would describe as um, enterprises that, that uh, are really doing uh, software delivery at scale well, because um, there's not very many of them that, that can do it at that su uh, such a high scale uh, in, in the industry right now. Um, I would say we're nipping at the heels in terms of uh, we have a couple of key ingredients that, uh, that I think are really good at T-Mobile. One is we have the appetite to improve. Uh, another one is um, we have various levels of maturity, which leave a lot of sort of low-hanging fruit and opportunities to really make a big splash in areas and really provide, uh, provide uplift. Um, and then we also have a very... Uh, deep technical background in terms of uh, uh, the entire leadership chain. Um, many enterprises, uh, as you go up the leadership chain, sometimes you tend to lose the technical apt and the capability, and that's not something you see at T-Mobile. So with those three ingredients, uh, it makes transformation like these uh, have more lift um, and the amount of change that I've just seen in the last probably one to two years uh, has been tremendous in terms of getting us uh, closer to the unlocks that get us closer to that unicorn status. Um, and so I think that uh, we've made more change probably in the last two years uh, uh, that we have uh, historically from a developer platforms perspective, uh, which has been great. Yeah, I like what you said in your talk um, that you can't just read the unicorn playbook and become a unicorn. So how, you know, what can you do to sort of become that software unicorn? Uh, if you're not T-Mobile or if you don't have those ingredients yet within your teams, how do you get there? Yeah, good question. So arguably being an evangelist of what you think is right and what is important for your business to progress in a direction that's that's industry leading or healthy from a transformation perspective starts at the influencers uh, if you're starting at a brand new company for example uh, your ability to influence may be really low well the one thing that uh, i did when i started a new school in elementary school is I have to find the uh, the bigger kids to be friends with, so I don't necessarily get beat up. Well, the equivalent of that is find the technical influencers that really understand the context of your business, but can get to the uh, value proposition probably faster than most people within the organization. A lot of times, technical influencers aren't uh, the leaders, uh, aren't the you know uh, C-suite. 
um, aren't even frontline managers. It's it's uh, it's usually an individual contributor. It's a set of individual contributors that you know, much like in the Unicorn Project, uh, probably belong in a rebellion. They just don't exist in one yet, uh, but are all thinking the same way in terms of. Uh, how do we do this right? How do we progress? How do we improve in the future? Great. Now, I know um, you've been at T-Mobile for two years now, but you've also you know, had experience with DevOps in other companies, other industries. So was there anything that you learned from these other industries or these other companies that you were able to bring to, to T-Mobile? What I've learned throughout all the industries is that most of the industries are all facing the same problem. And that the same problem is the, the ability to solve the people issue in terms of transformation and sort of, you know, I mentioned the unicorn playbook. Following the unicorn playbook uh, uh, seems like it's a relatively straightforward roadmap. But from a people transformation perspective, uh, the only thing that changes between these industries is just a different context. Uh, you know, my the previous industry I was in was was automotive. Uh, selling cars is uh, very different than offering cell service to our customers. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the customers who drive the cars want new features just as badly as uh, people who use T-Mobile service. Uh, it just changes the context. But I noticed a lot of similarities uh, between all of these enterprises. Um, what has helped me tremendously. Uh, is having the experience of being in different contexts uh, allow me to prepare better for the next industry that I face or the next challenge uh, that I face. And um, building in some of the, the, the consistency uh, is really important. For leaders in, you know, for example, developer platforms, I think it's important to have principles that you believe in and you can carry with you. So I, so I kind of actually see them as like badges that, that I carry with me um, because you know, the same principle of continuous flow exists whether you're developing software for a car or developing software for a large telecom. Um, and if you can get these industry principles rooted, then you have a framework to now put the context on top of them, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, do you have any lessons learned over, um, you know, the past years that you've been working with DevOps or in these different industries, you know, anything that has gone wrong that you can maybe bring attention to the listeners they can try to avoid? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I actually like when things go wrong because they show opportunity, right? John, John Allspaugh says that incidents are unplanned investments. I think it's extremely important to, uh, the, to, to navigate those wrongs uh, in something that will build and, and, and progress your transformation further. Um, from... Uh, from a, like a tool set perspective or maybe from like a technical developer platform set pers uh, perspective, uh, I would say pay attention to the impacts of Conway's law and pay attention to the impacts of uh, the cognitive load that you're putting on uh, individuals such as developers to complete their job. Uh, one of the challenging things is if 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 you're actively impeding, which is one thing I say in my talk, if you're actively impeding uh, for someone to get fulfillment for their job, they're never going to be happy. Uh, and Mick Kirsten mentions in his book uh, Project to Product that you know net promoter score at the value stream level to fully understand an end-to-end -end sort of product value stream 
is just as important as uh, throughput or as any other uh, measurement against the value stream because you're able to determine uh, a strong correlation between happier developers make better code and make a better experience for their users, right? Definitely. So how, um, you know, when you're looking to improve the developer experience or developers are looking to improve and you're not trying to impede on them, how often should you be checking back in to make sure, you know, I'm on the right track, we're going towards a way of improvement and not towards impediment? Yeah, uh, so I think that goes back with NPS for value streams. Instead of checking NPS for a product value stream, your your product value stream is your developer platform. Your your platform is a product. Uh, I think it makes sense. Well, how often do you like to see surveys from the same company? I don't know, once a quarter, maybe once every two quarters, or have an area where my ideas and my thoughts, uh, even my negative thoughts, are valued uh, and used uh, to drive subsequent sort of feature recommendations or changes, or, or in our case, uh, not only is it an invite for you to give us your bad feedback, it's also an invite where you can you're actually empowered to change it yourself, right? You can you can propose merge requests all day long. You can become a part of the the, the community and really feel empowered that your destiny is also our destiny uh, together which I think is really important to remain transparent and collaborative uh, and make sure that everyone is, is continuously experimenting. I, I've, I've had bad, bad feedback come in before. Uh, and then I asked, would, would this be something that you'd be willing to contribute to make it better for you and everyone else? And they said, I didn't even know that I could contribute. I go, well, yeah, but then I also realized that there's, there's, there's another problem and that is, how do I get that information into the minds of, of people who need it the most? Once they found out they could contribute, that's all they did. And now they're one of the top contributors to, to a platform that they use on a daily basis. Great. Now we're running out of um, time on the podcast. But before we go, I just want to ask, because you bring up the um, you know, unplanned work in your talk. So what really is unplanned work and how do you make it planned work and make it you know, to benefit you and your development teams in the business? Yeah, unplanned work is ultimately something that you never planned that you thought you were going to have to do. Uh, and in a physical space, it's somebody dropping by your cube and going, do you have five minutes, right? Uh, and it's never five minutes. Um, but in a virtual space, the equivalent is a Slack message that goes, oh, such and such a server is blowing up again, or hey, can you help me with this one problem, which always turns into this massive amount of unplanned work. Uh, another one um, that, you know, these larger enterprises see a lot are when you're using a bunch of open source packages or upstream packages and you're, you're grabbing the latest, um, a lot of times the latest will be released and it doesn't quite work with your use case. Uh, and it's your sort of equivalent of pulling this and on cord and going, this isn't working for me. And maybe it's something you have to fix upstream. Maybe you have to fork. Um, but you, you're really putting yourself in a position where uh, you're you're at risk uh, by building highly complex software systems for a lot of unplanned work to come your way. Ultimately, I always fall back to what Eliyahu Goldratt says, and part of his goal is to decrease operating expenses. And ultimately, unplanned work typically fits in OPEX category rather than CAPEX. 
And it's important to measure yourself to ensure that OPEX is going down over time rather than going up over time and understand that everything that you're developing needs to be maintained without you there to babysit it as a you know systems administrator for the rest of your life. So it, it's, it, it's important every time you, you build a product that you think not only about day one, but you're also thinking about day two and you're thinking about what is the remainder of this life cycle? How many people have to get involved to support this, this product? You know, I always think about uh, WhatsApp and WhatsApp was able to get hundreds of millions of users uh, with like less than 50 engineers, right? Every decision they make was an at scale decision um, and ensured that they weren't going to have to be held. Uh, uh, they, they wouldn't have to hold the bag from a support perspective. Okay, great. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us. Um, Until next time, you guys have been listening to What the Dev Ops.